0: P.K.F. O'Connor-Davies podcast, Nonprofits, Insight Out. I'm Lenore Sanchez, audit manager specializing in not-for-profit organizations. Today's topic is activities that may jeopardize a charitable organization's tax-exempt status. Joining us once again to provide insight on this topic are Garrett Higgins and Eva Maruck. Garrett and Eva are partners serving in PKF O'Connor Davies' Exempt Organization Tax and Advisory Services Group, and they each have over 25 years of experience providing tax compliance and advisory services to exempt organizations. Tax exemption is a privilege. It's not a right. Organizations should be aware of what they can do to ensure that they protect and maintain it so certain activities they perform do not endanger it. The activities I'm speaking of are specific, and I'd like to start with 501 organizations that engage in enormous or substantial private benefit. Eva, can you share your thoughts on that?
1: Well, this area strikes a big chord with the IRS because there are strict rules about not-for-profits giving away their earnings to private shareholders or individuals. The private enormous and private benefit doctrines are the cornerstones of IRS oversight of tax exempt organizations and are used as tools by the IRS to police the activities of charitable organizations. And if abuse is found, it has two weapons. One is revocation and the other is the imposition of harsh excise taxes. So let's define these concepts in the context of a 501c3 public charity. 501c3 tax exemption is predicated and conditioned on the principle that states no part of the net income must inure to the benefit of any private shareholder or individual. So private inurement occurs when an insider, and that's an individual who has significant influence over an organization, you know, the CFOs, the CEOs, the board members, the family members, certain businesses of these individuals when these persons enter into an arrangement with a not-for-profit and receive benefits greater than he or she provides in return, also known as disqualified persons. So private enormant is an absolute term. There is no de minimis restriction. Even a small amount is fatal to a not-for-profit's tax exemption. Now on the other hand, private benefit is a broad concept that applies when an individual outside of the charitable class reaps a benefit. It is only permissible when it is insubstantial or incidental to the main service being provided. Can you share some other examples? Sure. So private enrollment may come in different forms and a not-for-profit should avoid stepping into this dangerous territory. The most common example is excessive compensation. Um, When bonuses are tied to revenues or fundraising or any type of revenue sharing arrangement, those are generally frowned by the IRS. The IRS can condemn this act through a regime known as intermediate sanctions and impose an excise tax in lieu of revocation. But if the act is egregious, revocation may occur. Other examples include sales and exchanges of property, rental arrangements, and those should always be conducted at arm's length between the two parties. But the overreaching theme to remember here is that since the public subsidizes not-for-profits, charitable funds and assets must be held for public benefit.
0: Thank you, Eva. What are some other types of activities that can jeopardize an organization's tax-exempt status?
1: Well, there's lobbying and also political campaign activities that may endanger tax exemption. So let's define first what is lobbying in simple terms and then I'll speak to what a not-for-profit needs to know to avoid endangering its tax exemption. So lobbying is when a not-for-profit contacts or urges the public to contact members or employees of a legislative body for the purpose of either proposing, supporting, or opposing legislation. 501c3 public charities are permitted to lobby, so as long as they do not devote a substantial part of their activities towards lobbying. There are two options for measuring compliance. The first is the insubstantial part test. This is the default test. It is vague. It's based on facts and circumstances, and here strict st- sanctions and excise tax or so even revocation may occur if the lobbying is deemed to be substantial. So generally speaking, most believe that a not-for-profit is in the safe zone if it devotes three to five percent of the overall activities towards lobbying. The second test is the 501H expenditure test, and this allows certain not-for-profits to make an affirmative election. There are certain expenditure caps. If the expenditure limits are exceeded in one year, an excise tax is imposed. However, if 150% of the cap is exceeded over a four-year consecutive period, tax exemption can be lost. But let's not confuse lobbying with advocacy. Advocacy is a subset of lobbying and not-for-profits should engage and are urged to engage in advocacy and issues of public policy in an educational manner to help meet their charitable missions and goals. And for some
0: not-for-profits, advocacy is at the core of its mission. Eva, can you explain how these activities differ and speak about how political campaign activities can put a charitable organization's exemption at risk? In a
1: nutshell, political campaign intervention is defined as directly or indirectly participating in or intervening in any political campaign on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for elective public office. So for a 501c3 public charity, these type of activities are strictly prohibited. Activities undertaken in a nonpartisan manner, for example, certain voter education activities, get out the vote drives, presenting at public forums are allowed. Also, I should mention that employees of not-for-profits in their individual capacity may participate in the political process by supporting political candidates, but need to be very, very careful that their efforts are detached from the not-for-profit, for For example, that they occur outside of working hours and that none of the not-for-profit's resources, facilities, equipment, social media accounts are being used.
0: It's important for a 501c3 to fulfill its charitable purposes for which it was established, but Garrett, what happens if the organization deviates?
2: A charitable organization is expected to operate in accordance with charitable purposes as outlined in its application for tax exempt status. The regulations require an organization to be both organized and operated exclusively for one or more tax exempt purposes as specified in 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code. These activities are generally religious, charitable, educational, scientific, and the testing for public safety, so they're very defined. The operational test requires that a nonprofit be operated exclusively to accomplish its exempt purpose. An organization will not be considered operated exclusively for exempt purposes if a substantial part of its activities are not in furtherance of a 501c3 purpose. If an organization fails to e- either the organizational test or the operational test, it cannot be exempt.
0: How does earning too much income from activities that are not related to an exempt purpose endanger exempt status?
2: If an organization conducts activities that are not related for the purposes for which it received its tax exemption, the activity could be viewed as commercial type activity and considered unrelated business income. The commerciality doctrine was created along with the operational test to address concerns over nonprofits. Competing at an unfair tax advantage with for profit businesses. So, if they're essentially a nonprofit and a for profit operate the same type of business, say like a daycare, a nonprofit daycare could charge less because it doesn't pay taxes. So, the unrelated business income rules come into play. If an unrelated business income comprises a substantial portion of an exempt organization's activities or income, loss of tax exemption may result unless it's adequately addressed, such as taking that activity and putting it into a taxpaying entity. It should be noted that the unrelated business income rules are complex, and determining what constitutes a substantial portion depends on the facts and circumstances unique to each organization. So it's recommended that an organization consult competent advisors familiar with these issues.
0: Well, 501c3 public charities are exempt from federal income tax. Aside from unrelated business income tax, most of these organizations have information reporting obligations under the Internal Revenue Code to ensure that they continue to be recognized as tax-exempt. Can you expand on that?
2: So, some things are certain in life. Death and taxes. So everybody has to file a tax return. Tax-exempt no different. So almost all organizations exempt under 501 c are required to file a 990 series return. Organizations that fail to file for three consecutive years will have its tax-exempt status revoked. This method, however, of revocation is not permanent and can be cured if the organization acts quickly to have its exempt status reinstated in accordance with Revenue Procedure 2014-11. Under the Revenue Procedure, all organizations must reapply for exempt status by filing an application for exemption, regardless if they had to apply originally.
0: Eva, can you talk about some revocation
1: cases? Sure, so to understand revocations, one must understand how the IRS works. The IRS expects all not-for-profits to exist for the public good, and the tax code regulations and tax cases generally follow the basic ethical principles what is right and what is wrong and it punishes those who act with neglect willful neglect recklessness and many revocations occur at the end of a long irs audit or examination it can also be as a result of a whistleblower just recently allegations were brought against a church for engaging in politics and endorsing political candidates and the public asking the IRS for an immediate investigation. So the takeaway is that the IRS is watching, but so is the public at large. And IRS statistics reveal that the most prevalent cases of revocation involve the failure to meet the operational or organizational test, followed by private enormant engaging in substantial commercial activity and then also not operating exclusively within its tax exempt purpose. That one is sometimes common with inactive or dormant organizations. Uh, The common theme seen in these cases is that the IRS generally takes into account the degree of the enormous in relation to the scope of the not-for-profit activities, repeated allegations efforts taken or not taken to safeguard against a norman, and efforts taken to correct any misuse of charitable assets. So the IRS considers all relevant facts and circumstances before making that detrimental decision to revoke a
0: not-for-profit's tax exemption. The information you both shared is extremely valuable and insightful for 501 organizations to keep in mind in protecting and maintaining their charitable status. What are the consequences and some tips on how exempt organizations can protect their status?
2: Losses of tax exempt status can have significant implications, including making an organization ineligible to receive tax deductible contributions, causing an organization no longer to be exempt from federal or state income taxes, requiring an organization to pay sales tax and real estate taxes at the state and local level. Some ways tax-exempt organizations can protect their exempt status are, first basic way is filing required returns, operating in accordance with its exempt purpose, maintaining ongoing compliance with tax-exempt status, and avoiding jeopardizing activities such as compensation, review private benefit transactions through compensation, and transactions with related parties and disqualified persons. Make sure they're arm's length, free of conflicts. Review lobbying activities. If they're significant, adhere to the safe harbor, or establish um, other organizations that can help in the lobbying activities, such as the C4. Avoid political activities. If the political activities are significant, then maybe establish a political action committee. Analyze excessive unrelated business income producing activities, first analyze it, maybe consider an unrelated business income study. And if it's deemed substantial, that activity is deemed substantial, restructure the activity in another tax paying vehicle. And last but not least, consult with legal and tax advisors before entering transactions to assess the risk. Garrett
0: and Eva, thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. PKF O'Connor Davies serves a wide range of nonprofit entities. For more information and to connect to Garrett or Eva, who specialize exclusively in nonprofit tax matters, please visit our website at pkfod.com. Until next time, nonprofits, Insight out.